a young maiden. Just really sad, like moaning song. Life is brief. Yeah, I was like, so I love that he requests that song in this like a bumping Japanese like nightclub. He just like, like play this, play this song. Life is brief, and they're just like, yeah, sure. <laughs> really killed uh, the party. <laughs> People, it's like it's like when you go to karaoke and someone starts singing like a Frank Sinatra song or something. And you're like, get out! What are you doing here? <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to Page and Screen. This is a book club for movie lovers, a movie club for book lovers. Uh, we read the book, we watch the movie, and we talk about them. I'm Calvin. Uh, the movie is called To Live, more like To Die. Uh, hey, uh, I'm Doug, and uh, we get a Toy Story, you know French. I am Jesse, and Bill Hader said it best. Hi, I'm Ashton Sanborn, and uh, this one was a really hard one to come up with a funny thing to say about it, because it's only about a person dying of cancer. On this episode, we are discussing... The Death of Ivan Ilyich. The novella was written by Leo Tolstoy and published in 1882. It was adapted to the film Ikiru, directed by Akira Kurosawa in 1952. All right, let's get into the novella. Uh, the Death of Ivan Ilyich begins with uh, some lawyers receiving news. Colleague I- Ivan Ilyich has died. They attend his funeral and deal with the tedious traditions of offering condolences. The next chapters from Ivan Ilyich's perspective, as we see the way he lives his carefree life. He climbs a social ladder, meets a woman that he is initially enamored with. He marries her, but soon after uh, finds that finds her too demanding and falls out of love with her. He pours more attention into his work life so that he can avoid his family, uh, which eventually consists of his wife and two children, a boy and a girl, after they lose many children at young ages. Ivan eventually starts suffering a pain in his side, and he consults a physician. The physician can't pinpoint the exact ailment, but after um, second opinions from a number of doctors, it becomes apparent that his condition is terminal. Ivan then tries to find a cure to no avail. The pain worsens and Ivan is forced to be bedridden. Ivan struggles to come to terms with his imminent death as he believes he has lived rightly and can't understand why he must suffer. His family and friends avoid the subject of his death when they interact with him and he hates them for this. He instead finds comfort in a peasant worker, uh, Gerasim, who acts as a nurse to Ivan, showing him compassion. In his final days, Ivan determines that he has lived an artificial life of self-interest, and this is what makes his, and this is what makes him fear death. In his last hour of life, Ivan sees a bright light, and his hand falls on the head of his son, who is mourning Ivan along with the rest of his family at his bedside. Looking at his family, Ivan is sorry that they have suffered because of him, and hopes his death will release them. In doing so, he no longer fears death, and as Tolstoy suggests, death itself disappears. Well, let's get into this novella. Um, a real uh, hilarious uh, feel-good story, I think. Uh, <laughs> uh, what did everyone think? I'll go first, I guess. The thing is, is I actually did my best to not know anything about this, and I didn't know anything about Ikiru. A- 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 so I didn't know what I was getting into when I started reading this. Uh, and so when I first started reading it, I thought I was like, oh, this is a murder thing, I think, I guess. And so like through most of the thing, I'm like, oh, he's being poisoned or something like that was going on in my mind. And I kept thinking it and I'm just and and I kept imagining that, you know, something was going to happen. Like it's like, oh, this big twist at the end where it's like he's not actually dying or something or someone is poisoning him. But it ended up just being about a man slowly dying and well and they don't ever really actually talk about it like it was obviously well it was probably some sort of cancer right like but uh like they don't ever say oh this is cancer they're just like and then and then you know talking about how crappy his family is how his family life and 
how crappy everybody else is around him. And it's like, like I'm, I'm reading this. I'm like, what is there a single point to this? Or it's just like, you know, people are really crappy. Life's crappy. And, uh, you know, find the meaning in life uh, somehow in this. It was a, it was a really tough read. Uh, I didn't I, I didn't really mind it. I'm glad that it didn't f- match my original expectation. Relatively, it was a fairly short read, so it's not like I like you know wasted like four months reading this or something. It, it was an interesting read that deals with like really like heavy stuff. So. Yeah, I I agree with Doug. Like I think I got about like three quarters of the way through it asking myself, is there a point to this? It started to turn around at about three quarters of the way through when it was like, oh, I see. They're, they're, they're going to go into the direction of, you know, he's living his life wrong and he's coming to that realization and how he could have done it better and kind of a cautionary tale of don't, do, like, don't make the same mistake as Ivan Ilyich kind of thing. Like, I think I'm with Doug. Like, I, I think I was overall with the book. I was like, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. Like, I, I wasn't overly, like, I, I didn't love it. It was it was a kind of a little bit of a dry read at the beginning. It was interesting structurally how the first chapter was set after the events of Ivan Illich's death, and uh, the rest of it was what his life was up until he died. But yeah, I, I kind of feel the same way. I kind of was like it was a little bit of a little bit of a slow thing, and then I was like about halfway through, three quarters of the way through, I was like. I don't see what's going on here or what the point of all this is. It's just watching some guy slowly, slow, slowly die. But it turns around at the end to the point where I'm like, yeah, it's okay. It was a decent book. When, you, when I started reading the part where they're at the funeral and the guy, uh, his colleague realizes, oh crap. Like he says, he goes from like um, this, not lighthearted, but because in the previous moment, they're talking amongst the colleagues, who's going to get his position and how their social status will change. And so I thought, okay, is this going to be a book like like one of those typical moral of the story is like this classist um, society isn't good or simply about life. And that's what it was. It was about life. And after reading it, I agree with you guys. It is. I, I actually listened to an audio book. So um, it was a little bit more animated for me because the guy was doing different voices for all the characters. And yeah, around the end is when you start seeing Ivan's character development when he's literally dying um uh, i agree i only really liked it around the end and i thought it was emotional at that point when he kind of realized that he's been he's been his own worst enemy and he's been an enemy to everybody around him and once he makes that atonement then he can die but was the cause of death did they say was something like floating kidney or i remember yeah there's like multiple there's like multiple um diagnosis i think it's it's also interesting because i was listening to an audiobook too but i was also reading it at the same time like i was trying to follow along with the audio while i was reading and um the audiobook and the book i was reading had different translations so there were like a few words that were like different because obviously the story was written originally in russian so that happened with me too because i went back to consult words and stuff he was using especially the french and I'd realize, oh, this whole like sentence is not really rightly translated. It has to do with his daughter looking this way in a dress versus in the book versus this way in the audio book. So I want, yeah, I guess that's kind of a yeah. common occurrence. So, um, so I think like between the two versions, there were different diagnoses. But I think the ones that I always heard was either floating kidney or appendicitis in one. Yeah. Like, like in one, they were saying it was appendicitis. And I was like, did they not know how to cure appendicitis? But like, did they not know how to just cut the appendix out back then i don't know um, i didn't realize appendicitis took that long to kill you too if your appendix burst like i, I thought it was know. like pretty pretty quick after that like after it burst if you don't get it out and cleaned up it's pretty much like oh like i would assume well, like yeah well they made it sound like it was like an infected appendix and he was just gonna die from it right <laughs> instead of like yeah. taking it out so i don't know because um, he, he he hurts himself, right? He trips he bangs or something. Yeah, he side. does fall and yeah. hurt himself. Uh yeah, I I kind of like this book. Um, I've you know, I haven't read a lot of Tolstoy, but I feel like I could probably get into it. Um, it's like it, you know, it, it is it was like a tough read. Um, I think like having the audiobook and, and reading it at the same time made it a little bit easier for me. I didn't mind it. Like I thought it was I thought I kind of got the sense of what what they were trying to do as I got into it. I was like, oh, like this seems like it's going to be this like Mm -hmm. moral story uh, or this moral lesson, basically. 
it was a very simple story. Like it, you know, well, it's only like a 120 page book. Um, the plot that he's trying to get across is very simple, but he manages to fit a lot of like really, I think, deep philosophical themes in there. It is very much about death. It's also very much about life. This this idea of like, how do you live a full life? Or how do you live a life that you can be content with when you die? I don't know. I found that very like very deep and and kind of kind of quite the thinking piece because yeah i mean i mean i feel like that's like you know a prime philosophical question that i'm sure everyone kind of ruminates on um avanella seems to be like going through all of these like different reactions to it you know like he's like at first like doesn't believe it and then he's angry about it then he's trying to come to terms with it it's like why is this happening to him and like if he's going to die, is he okay with dying? And like, and you know, sometimes seeing death as like a relief as like, he's suffering so much and he would rather just die. I obviously don't know what it's like to die, but I, I can't imagine the, the things that go through someone's mind. And I feel like these are some pretty heavy themes that, that probably do apply uh, to those situations. And I think it's also like just a good book in terms of like how realistically it portrays a, a terminal illness. Like it doesn't try to romanticize any aspect of it. it like his family the way that his family reacts to the fact that he has a terminal illness i thought that was really interesting that they were trying to like ignore it and 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 they were treating him like he was sick rather than the fact that he was going to die or also like his reaction to his family and how like he he grew to them because they weren't like because they were kind of ignoring the fact that he was sick and he would like put on this brave face when he was around his colleagues and stuff and and try to appear like he was getting better when all he wanted was just compassion. And I think at one point he says like he would rather just like sit here and cry and and, and uh, let them treat him like a child and coddle him and, and make him feel better. That's probably like the most emotional part of the book, I think, for me, because I was like. I felt like that was like this like truest part of his self, you know, because he was like, you can put on this brave face as much as you want. But at the end of the day, like all I want to do is just like be held by someone and just like, um, and experience compassion more than anything else. Um, I, I did really enjoy it. I found it very emotional, uh, to read. I think the ending was kind of poignant because it was like, he, he, got all the way to his deathbed and he realizes that like his life has kind of been artificial and he didn't really achieve anything but yet he still kind of comes to terms with it and and he still realizes that like he loves his family and stuff like that and i think the ending implies that like he had a good death or that like he was happy in his death and yeah i don't know i thought it was pretty good yeah it's it's a it's good i i I tried. I tried reading it. I had a PDF version. I tried reading it, but I, I simply couldn't read it on the screen, so I had to print it off. And uh, so sorry if I broke any copyright. Actually, this is like a hundred-year-old book, so I, it's in the public domain. I don't think you. I don't think the estate of Leo Tolstoy is going to come knocking down your door. <laughs> oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they will actually. But anyways, the uh, no, it was it was good. Um, one thing that pissed me off actually about reading it was the fact that they used full proper names every single time they mentioned a character and yeah there was just yeah. something about it where it's like it's like uh peter peter ivanovich walked down the street peter ivanovich then opened a door peter ivanovich you're just like i get it i get we can just call him peter after like the fourth time <laughs> all right like like there's no other characters named peter if there were like nine characters named peter in this book i'd be like okay i i get it but like they i honestly added an extra like 500 words to the overall document just by just by uh, making sure that they had the full like Fedorvina, <laughs> uh, I can't even remember her name. Fedor Fedorvina. I by the way, I'm not saying these, but you know how you're reading something and you're just like, yeah, and uh, Fedorvina is the yeah. So that's uh, so sorry if I'm like yeah, to all you people out there with that name and people who love that name. So no, but it it was it was good. You know, as I said, I kind of walked in assuming that they were gonna like this was somehow Americanized where it's like, oh, he's being poisoned. And I'm like, you know, trying to like figure out the mystery. And then by like the last like four pages I realized, oh I guess there's no mystery. I guess <laughs> I guess we're just I'm slowly reading I'm reading about the life and death of a man as he's dealing with like really tough questions on his death. You know what? Yeah, you know, it would be so great if someone wrote a detective story or like <laughs> 
or ended the detective story with just a, a straight up death. Like if there was like, you know, like a, a, a Hercule Poirot um, like mystery <laughs> where it's just like Hercules was diagnosed with cancer and you're just trying to figure out, you're like, oh God, who's poisoning him? And then yeah. he just like dies of cancer and you're like, oh, I guess he just had cancer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's honestly how I, like I kept being like, uh, and I'm saying his name wrong, but it's like, uh Gar- garrison i'm just like oh garrison's doing he's garrison's too nice he's 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 uh poisoning him it's like no i guess he's just a really nice guy and uh so uh that that happened you know <laughs> i was able to take what i knew from from reading this and and kind of be like okay i kind of have an idea of how they would make a, this, this into a movie but even the movie kind of like upended my expectations because in a way i said oh i understand how they're going to make it a movie but also is it just going to be about a movie slowly, a uh, guy slowly dying? Like it's, uh, it's like super depressing. Yep. But the, uh, like they talked a lot about how like the aristocracy, like that that upper level, how like meaningless they made they make life, and like he he's talking about how he didn't get a promotion and that pissed him off, and so then he went to St. Petersburg and and then he got an apartment or whatever, like a really fancy high end apartment. They spent like a couple pages talking about how excited he is to like you know add decorations and uh and do all this other stuff right but it all just added to like the whole and and, like it added to the whole idea of meaningless over the course of his life and then as as he was dying like the real questions came out like you know did it matter that the curtains look this way does it matter that uh you know that i worked so hard to be the best you know solicitor general or whatever whatever he was in the end whatever the canadian equivalent of whatever he was at the end you know and it's also another treatise in the idea that nowadays you know we look at cancer and we look at sickness in such a way that it's like you're you're brave and you're powerful for fighting against cancer and Mm. but but back then and they even tackle it in the uh, in the movie where they they take cancer as being something like something that you say behind closed doors like 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 they're like oh yeah we don't ever talk about cancer right that's how it was like not too long ago right that's yeah. why and so they talk about that and like make it seem like it should be shameful that you know like uh, a couple free radical cells in his body decided to murder him slowly like it's like one of those things where it's like uh, yeah. it, we kind of had the same conversation around uh, depression but that's slowly changing where people are like oh he's depressed like let's let's not talk about that right yeah it's some it's some really really tough questions tackles a lot of really tough issues and um a lot of like proper names uh, over and over again in their entirety <laughs> of of all the of all the books to have full names this one was probably the most difficult one. like russian, I, russian names are not short they're they're very long and having to like listen to them over and over again i'm like okay yeah see i honestly was as i was reading i'm like Peter Ivanovich is uh, walking down. It's like, okay. And uh, I guess, you know, it's really weird as well is they only mention, they meant they, they really talk about the daughter a lot, but they almost never mention the son. And they only mention like in the final two pages of the, of it, they're like, Oh, by the way, the son's name is Vasilefi or whatever the guy's name is. I don't even remember. That's how little they talked about him. It's really strange that di- dynamic. And I was trying to figure out if there was like a, like a literary reason why they d- didn't include the the son. Well, they did mention him in passing a bunch of times, but they didn't really include him. And then they talked, I think in the last page, they talked about how we like came into his father's room while he was dying and like cried or something, but they only mentioned him by name once. And it's only in like the final two pages of the book. And it's just really strange that they spent so much time building up the, the daughter's story and then building up his wife's story. And then it's like, oh, by the way, his son's somewhere here. Like his, you know, of this. I think it's also because like his son is supposed to be really young, right? Like I think his son is like supposed to be like a boy or like very, very young. Whereas his daughter is like an adult and is like starting to like is being courted and stuff like that. So I don't know. Maybe it's just the fact like there's nothing interesting going on in his son's life. Like I don't know. Also, they mentioned child death really casually in this book. He lost like so many kids over oh, yeah. the course of his <laughs> yeah. life. Like, and I'm just like, whoa. And he just seems to mention it in passing. Also, he seems to mention it 
as like an excuse for why his wife was like upset with him or like or why his wife was like demanding and hard to be around is like oh the the death of our children has made her irritable and i'm like I'm like, but, um, no shit. What are you talking about? He kind of was a dick at the end of the book. There's oh, a few times sure. where, like, where you're like, you are an asshole. Like, because, <laughs> yeah, it's like she was irritable because like, she would like disagree with him on something and he'd be like, well, um, I'm going to work. <laughs> he, the, I think those are supposed to be flaws. I think by the end of the book, you realize that like he comes to term with the fact that he was kind of an asshole or that like, you know, he was being unfair to his family. Yeah, it's just, it's just, I just thought it was so ridiculous how casually they mentioned the fact that, like, his children, he lost multiple children, and that's why his wife was irritable. <laughs> I think it's also a product of the time, too, with, like, just, like, the uh, perspective of men, what men, men thought of women and stuff, too, as oh, well. Oh, for sure, yeah, probably. Obviously, in the what would what would this have been early 1900s late 1800s when this was written late 1800s late 1800s yeah yeah so yeah i think that's kind of it too right but he was pretty uh, kind of unlikable by the end of the uh, by the end but then when like when he comes to terms with it and realizes what he's done wrong with his life you're kind of like okay i feel i kind of have sympathy for you again but for a long period mm-hmm. of time there you're like you are pretty unlikable at this point <laughs> Yeah, I think that's also kind of the, I think that's also kind of deliberate is that, you know, it it's very much a story that's supposed to be about, you know, a very average person, you know, and like his flaws, I think are supposed to be very, like reasonable, um, mm-hmm. but also the fact that like he doesn't do anything spectacular with his life and like, or anything tremendously awful with his life, you know, he's like living this like very middle of the road kind of monotonous existence and i think like that comes uh, into play in the kiru a little bit more but i think that's kind of a deliberate thing is is to see death from this like very very normal perspective you know of like or very average perspective and how and how you come to terms with it but mm-hmm. yeah like i i kind of got the sense when i said aristocracy earlier i kind of got the sense that um uh, Gar- garrison or garrison or whatever the guy's name is like they had a really nice moment. I just remember I'm trying to think like where where he's where he's like he's in real pain and he's and he asks Garrison to to lift his legs. Like can you lift my legs? And they have like, like this really nice moment. And he's like a like a slave or a serf or something. If I'm reading that correctly, yeah. yeah. And it's and and then they have this whole juxtaposition where he's like the 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 poorest guy in the room is being like super nice to him and like like uh, cleaning his crap and. Uh, uh, lifting his legs and helping him out and 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 being just like a really kind person but all of his like family and aristocracy and friends are kind of like like a there's a there's a shallowness to their like response to him that kind mm-hmm. of comes through a little bit and maybe I'm misreading that but that's kind of what I got from that entire thing and so maybe like I'm thinking about Tolstoy and maybe that was a like a theme that he might have dropped and uh, yeah, and then another thing too is it also delves into the fact that a lot of kids back then died. Like we grew up in the idea that you know one in like ten thousand children died born in hospitals. Back yeah. then it was like, oh yeah, you have eleven kids and you know you're lucky if six survive. Like that's <laughs> like as I'm not as it sounds dickish, but that's not that's a hundred percent true. That's like <laughs> it you know, is the truth. Yeah, it's yeah, like yeah. yeah, we're gonna have fourteen, and every once in a while, all fourteen kids would survive, and you're like, well, I, this sucks. But <laughs> but back then, it's like, oh, I had fourteen kids, and uh, only only my daughter Beth survived, and you're like, oh, that's exciting. I guess sorry for your loss or whatever. Yeah. So, anyways, so moving on to the adaptation. Ivan Ilyich um, has been adapted a few times. It was adapted to A Simple Death, which was directed by Alexander Kaidanovsky. Also adapted in 2000 uh, to a movie called Ivan's XTC, directed by Bernard Rose. Uh, the adaptation we watched was 1952's Akiru, uh, which was directed by Akira Kurosawa. The protagonist of Akiru is uh, Kanji Watanabe, who uh, works in a bureaucratic position in City Hall in an unnamed uh, city in Japan. 
he experiences a pain in his stomach. He goes to the doctor and the doctor diagnoses him with a mild ulcer. However, through a conversation he has with another person at the waiting room, he determines that he has stomach cancer and he has six months to a year to live. Uh, he attempts to come to terms with his impending death, originally plans to tell his son about the cancer, but decides against it because it seems like his son doesn't pay attention to him. He tries to escape by experiencing Tokyo's nightlife, guided by an eccentric novelist who he meets at like a restaurant. The next day, uh, Watanabe um, meets a young female coworker, Toyo, who... Um, requests his signature for her resignation. He spends some time with her and takes comfort in her by observing her joyous love of life and enthusiasm. Uh, he tries to spend as much time as possible with her, but she becomes uh, suspicious of his intentions and grows wary of him. Eventually, he comes clean and tells her that he's dying and asks her what her secret to her love of life is. She says she doesn't really know, she just lives, but that she's found happiness in her new job making toys for children. Watanabe has a epiphany and realizes that it is not too late for him to do something significant. Just like Toyo, he wants to make something, but he is unsure of what he can do within the city bureaucracy until he remembers that there has been lobbying for a new playground. He surprises everyone at his job by returning after a long absence and begins pushing for a playground to be built. Despite concerns, he is intruding on the jurisdiction of other departments. The movie then takes a turn by revealing that Watanabe dies, and the rest of the movie takes place after his death. At his wake, his former co-workers gather, and this has been quite some time after the opening of the playground, um, and they try to figure out what caused such a dramatic change in his behavior. Through flashbacks, they determine that his transformation from listless bureaucrat to passionate advocate has kind of puzzled them. They slowly realize that he must have known he was dying, even though his son uh, denies this, because his son was still unaware of his father's condition. They also hear from a police officer or who witnessed him in the last few moments before his death and said that he was sitting on the swings of the park he built, singing a song. The bureaucrats vow to live their lives with the same uh, dedication and passion as he did, but in the very in one of the last scenes of the movie, they returned to work and apparently forgot all about the last night and lack the courage of their newfound conviction, and they return to the monotony of their bureaucratic life. Let's get into the movie. What did everyone think? I really enjoyed it. I thought. At the very end, because I watched this on the Criterion Collection, and there's a little spot where Bill Hader talks about how Ikiru is, is his favorite Kira Kurosawa movie. And he, and he says he takes some of the longer aspects of Russian literature and condenses it into a more entertaining form. And I thought that's exactly why I like this adaptation more. And another interesting thing as well, watching this, I don't know if any of you, uh, everybody else got this. I thought it was an interesting, I don't know if it was the intention, a self-critique of like Japanese work ethic mm. because you see like a lot of stories that come out of Japan in terms of like people dying at their in their office buildings because they're overworked themselves and so this could have been like a a cultural self-look because Kanji uh, Watanabe has literally just spent his like 30 years I think just working f like flawless attendance record similar to like uh, Leo Tolstoy what was it all for right so I thought that was very um, uh, interesting. I liked how there were some aspects of Western society that Akira Kurosawa threw in there. For example, the novelist, he calls himself Mephistopheles. And he says, mm -hmm. well, I'll take you out for a good time. And you're like, ooh, what is that? You know what I mean? What is that going to mean? You don't you associate yeah. that word with like sinister, uh, devilish kind of uh, enjoyment, which it was. Uh, there's just so much... You, you can see how dread and sadness are captured on um, Kanja Watanabe's face. That at times, like, I was, like, just literally, I could literally feel, like, my heart retching. Just the stare that he would get in his face when he's singing or when he goes to attempt to talk to his son, but he can't. Like, oh, it's just one of the most beautiful pieces of uh, cinematography ever. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I, I liked, I think I liked the, I liked Akira more than I liked uh, the death of Ivan Ivan Ilyich. The reason being, I think I think I pulled a lot more out of it than I did out of 
Ivan Ilyich. There was a lot more commentary on people, the way they live their lives and how they potentially waste their lives and doing what's not a, focusing on stuff that's not important. But he also was talking about the bureaucratic system in Japan at the time. And he talked about what brings happiness to people and what living your life is like. And actually, you mentioned it in your synopsis about how the doctor told them it was a, a stomach ulcer and how he had had that conversation with someone and concluded that he had stomach cancer. I Last night, I watched the um, the commentary of Ikiru. And the the guy talking about it was talking about how at the time, like this era in Japan, doctors didn't tell people that they had cancer because it was essentially a death sentence. As we talked before, essentially a death sentence. And it was very much a, um, they felt that if they know they have cancer, then they're going to lose the will to live and they're going to die faster that way. (sighs) So I remember watching, thinking, why is he telling him it's an ulcer when it's obviously something more than that? Because I know what this movie's about, right? And then also later on when everybody's talking about, gee, I wonder why he changed so much. And then they kind of have this like light bulb moment, like, oh, wait, he knew he was dying and he didn't. And that's why he did all this stuff for the parks. I'm like, it took you guys this long to figure this out, but apparently you just didn't talk about it. And you'd also like, you didn't know when you were dying of cancer because doctors didn't tell you you were dying of cancer. So it makes a lot more sense in the whole context of it, especially not knowing that aspect of Japanese culture. And the commentator was also saying that this is this aspect of the movie is going to be like somewhat lost on Western audiences because we always are told when we have cancer, if we have cancer. That's, uh, that's, that makes a lot of sense and it's also like just awful <laughs> to think about yeah exactly because um, yeah i definitely had that question when i was watching i was like why is he why is he fabricating this uh this diagnosis but god that's that's horrible that's right? just awful it's pretty terrible um yeah i i really like the movie um i i, I kind of always enjoy kurosawa's uh, stuff um you know i was watching a little bit of a documentary about him too and you know i think he's someone who like really took film as art and and really tried to to make sure that like the thing he was creating was something that was beautiful and like he'd talk about like film frames he would edit a lot of the movies himself or like he would you know uh, supervise the editing process so he would like look at each individual frame of film and he would say that like each frame of film is like a painting and like and it has to like mean something and so like when he's cutting it he has to like it's like this important decision as to whether or not to cut this piece of art out of your movie and stuff like that the cinematography in this movie is fantastic you know like there are so many frames that are just absolutely gorgeous to look at a lot of stuff that i feel like you know would seemingly seem like everyday scenes or like would be very easy to shoot he he makes sure that like they're lit so beautifully and it's an absolutely gorgeous film uh the performances i thought were fantastic really extremely touching and emotional and like realistic the way that um the lead uh the lead protagonist is portrayed um he was played by takashi shimura it's just a, a really stellar performance um i think at first I was pretty surprised by how different it was from the from the novella. I think that at first I didn't quite like how different it was. You know, one of the things I think that's very different from the novella and this is that in the novella, by the time he figures out that like his life has been artificial and that he's he's lived this like kind of a meaningless life, um, it's too late. Like he's already gonna die. Whereas in this movie, he had this time to be like, I need to like set things right and do do something to to make my life meaningful. And I think like, you know, that's that's great. And and it makes for a much better movie to see him kind of like redeem himself. But at the same time, I think there's something like a lot more uh, realistic about the novel. You know, he figures out that like his life has been meaningless and he's and he dies there's something kind of brutal about that, but also realistic. And I thought that was interesting that, that the movie was different in that aspect. I didn't necessarily think it was worse or anything. Um, I still think, you know, a very good movie and like, and the, the last, the last kind of 40 minutes um, 
where you kind of see the the effect he's had um after his death i think i think really does kind of reframe the whole narrative of of what it means to die or what it means to live a full life after watching Ikiru and like thinking about it um you know some of the differences and some of the choices that uh, Kurosawa made to make it different from the book were really smart um because he's essentially like you know, I think while the death of Ivan Ilyich is essentially just about one man's life and his death, Akira is about life and death, but it's also about legacy. You know, like it's also about like what comes after your death. And I think like that is an important aspect to consider. So yeah, um, yeah, tremendously enjoyed the movie. Again, like just a, a real, a real pick me up feel good film to throw on. <laughs> <laughs> I, I really enjoyed it. So I didn't know anything about this. I I, had a, I actually this is the first time I'd ever watched a um, Kurosawa film. I had never I I know about him. I've seen other work that that's inspired that's been inspired by him, uh, but I never actually sat down and watched one of his films. So this is the first time I watched it. I I walked in only like I only started watching it knowing that this was um, the death of Ivan Ilyich was somehow like inspired by this. And so I was curious how they were going to do it. And I thought they did an excellent job. I, I like this way more than I like the book or the novella. Um, not that, not that either was bad. I just, I just like this. And it's, it's funny. Cause when I first started watching, I, I looked at how long it was and I was like, Oh crap, this is like two hours and 30 minutes. I'm like, you know, I'm like, Oh, how much, how much could they take from the death of Ivan Ilyich and stretch it over, over. That's what I was thinking. But at some point in the movie, it kind of pulled me in and I really started to enjoy it. And then by the end, uh, of course, it's a, it has a really beautiful ending. Like it's uh, like I'm thinking specifically about the end of his life where he's actually on a swing and he's and he's singing the song he sang earlier in the um, dance hall or whatever. It's just the worst. Yeah, whatever. Uh, like the cantina. Is that, was that what it was? Mm-hmm. But the, like that. It, it kind of had a like it's a wonderful life feel like where it's like uh, and they're they had the same, but like I'm talking like the feel of the movie where it kind of it's a slow burn through the entire movie. And then it has a really excellent payoff of like, you know, he actually got it done and he he he, he actually did something to help out. And, and then there are themes that I really enjoyed that themes that you can only really build in that time, because, you know, we're talking like post-war Japan, like it it didn't bounce back. Right. Like it it wasn't. Like like there a lot of American, a lot of Western help was needed to to bring it to the to bring it to the Japan that we know today. But after the war, like they have, they had issues about urbanization. Like a lot of people were out of work. A lot of buildings were destroyed. An entire generation of young Japanese men were, were killed. Like just because it was made in 1952, like he builds it with the backdrop that that's already there. And then they show things like, like his, his son playing baseball, right? Which is a funny scene, actually. No, sorry. I, I wasn't going to talk about this right away, but like where he's like uh, his son hits like a like like an awesome uh, grand slam or something runs and he's just like he's like yeah yeah he's like talking to the guy he's like yeah you did that, see that man right there and then uh, he, then he like gets out the next round he's like oh yeah that guy sucks I have no idea who that guy is but, <laughs> but that, I I laughed at that scene it, it yeah. reminded me of that scene in The Simpsons where um, where Homer's on stage singing uh, singing with the B sharps and and his father's like oh see that's the man up there. He's my son. He's like, oh, which one? Uh, oh, the the Hindu guy. Like, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Anyways, I thought that was hilarious, but I kind of derailed what I was already saying about major themes. <laughs> but but like they talk about like baseball, which was an American import to Japan. Um, Western styles. They talk about stockings. Like there's a scene where he buys stockings for her, and she says, "Oh, you get that from the Western store." And it even feels a lot like a Western movie in the sense that, like, of course, it's Japanese. Of course, everybody speaks Japanese. But there's Western motifs that show up. And that's what I mean. Like uh, movies like It's a Wonderful Life. Like like there's those Western mm-hmm. motifs that kind of show up. And they're kind of parallel, but in a particularly Japanese way. And like mm-hmm. like ways of story, storytelling. I really like how they delved in those themes of like mass urbanization. And then they talked about like how like this new generation of Japanese were different from the older generation. Where, where they're... He's hanging around with that girl and the girl's like pissed off that he has to hang out with this old man. And then there's like this weird like birthday party happening in the background. 
Like there's, I don't know, but there's a whole lot of stuff there. And then they have the idea of bureaucracy and it's, it's a movie that makes you like, you know, you're paying full attention. You're watching him. There's beautiful scenes where he stops and he's looking and he's just like, you know, it's been 30 years since I've looked at the sunset, right? Like it's uh and then there's other scenes where he's like, where where he's trying to be uh, the the mafia, the Japanese mafia is trying to like uh, like sweat him down to stop him to build a uh, a playground, and he yeah, just like district. he just smiles and he 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 just he shrugs his shoulders like, well, what are they going to do to a man who's already dying, right? And there's just that like idea of like like courage and strength, and I don't know, there's just a whole lot of stuff that happened in those last like 40 minutes. And then another funny part is. I didn't realize, so I'm watching it, of course, like you guys, and and then he gets back and he's just like, oh yeah, he's he's been gone for months, like we don't know what he's doing or weeks or whatever, and he goes shows up, he's like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna do this, and then he walks out, grabs his hat, walks out the door. Next scene, it's like five months later, he's dead, and I'm like, oh, uh, I thought he was gonna do something, but I guess not. But then they talk about it, then they do the whole wake, but I just it was so abrupt the fact that it's like, now he's dead, and you're like, okay, well, sucks to be him, I guess, but. Uh, yeah, anyways, beautiful, beautiful film. Loved the ending. It was a, such a touching, beautiful, like, wrap-up. It took themes from the death of Ivan Ilyich and then pushed them further and add, like, this Japanese element. Loved it. I I, I, I want to... I'm, I'm thinking of checking out, like, Seven Samurai and a couple more of his stuff, so... Yeah, another thing I liked, uh, like, another theme that I, I didn't really touch on when I talked about it that I really liked is that the end is when everybody said like, oh, we're going to change, like what, like we're going to change the way we are and everything like that. And then at the end of the movie, they just kind of go back to the same way that they've always been. And they just kept doing it. And I was like, oh, like Bill Hader talked about it. Like Jesse was saying and like the bonus feature that was included. And it's just how true to life that yeah. is and how people are, how people do that. And that is like, we always say we're going to change. We're going to be different. And like after something big in our lives happens that we see like almost like a cautionary tale that happens in our lives and then we all just kind of continue on living the way we did the day before that happened for me personally i pulled out a lot more from the movie than i did the book i I felt like there was just so much more thematically going on with bureaucracy human condition the way we the way we live our lives and everything like that and uh, i thought it's a it's it's a really really good movie yeah it's interesting that you know you talk about like um how there are a lot of western themes or a lot of like western iconography and stuff that'll show up in this i i think like that's kind of kurosawa's style in general in general like he learned a lot from old hollywood directors um like a lot of his um especially like his samurai films you know were influenced by american westerns by filmmakers like john ford and stuff and that and that's where he kind of decided to make the samurai movie like the american western movie and then that would in turn inspire italian spaghetti westerns and stuff like that so i think um i think like a lot of that stuff does show up and and there are a lot of western versions of this story that we probably see in it i also saw citizen kane like a little bit like uh, even though like citizen kane i think the protagonists are very different and they and they go down very different paths but this like this like revisiting of a life and what makes a full life and, and what makes a life worth living or or what garners a worthy death i think was interesting yeah anything else that akira yeah i guess we were just you were once again you were saying about how his influence and like his how influenced he was by american um i was watching a documentary even today before he did this and it was about how that was the case and how in fact with before he got popular, like when early on in his career, he was heavily criticized in Japan for it. Like it was very, very obvious that they weren't very too fond of the American influences that he used throughout his movies in his early, early career. And then it was only like when he was starting to get like real acclaim, they kind of eased off the criticism there and kind of embraced mm-hmm. it a little bit more. But yeah, you're right. Like, and, and they also talk a little bit about poverty. And, and I just keep going back to this because I, I kept taking so much from the fact that it was post-World War II, right? Like we we underestimate there are a couple cities like Warsaw, Poland, uh, Manila, Philippines, and, and Tokyo, Japan, and not to mention Hiroshima, Nagasaki. The, these cities were leveled. Like they were like 
like uh, McNamara, he dropped those uh, incinerary bombs on cities that were 98% wood, right? And uh, they were still in building mode, rebuilding mode at this time. And so maybe that's like, you could take a little bit of the idea that this bureaucracy mattered more because, because the world around them had just recently been destroyed, right? And then, you know, there's this overtly poor area and, and all they're looking for is a playground, right? And it's just one of those things where it shows that there's a message there that bureaucracy is, is bad and that poverty can be tackled simply by um, like like building something worthwhile in, in, in areas like that, right? It also showed the importance of like bureaucracy and stuff. But there, yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. Like, as I said, when I started it, I started it like three times because I started watching it. And the first five minutes of like three times in a row, I fell asleep. And I'm like, okay, well, I, this obviously isn't connecting with me. And then this one time I fell asleep and I woke up and then he's at the, like the, the, the 1950s Japanese strip club. I'm like, well, what, what am I watching? Like, what, what is this sick thing happening? <laughs> I'm just joking. But no, but the, and then finally, once I got to a certain point, I'm just like, it just sucked me in and I was, I, I loved it. Like it was uh, so good. And I think you could probably pick it up and I bet you anything, like it's been picked apart, you know, 300 times and I'm sure there are a hundred themes that I'm missing, but um, yeah, I'm glad I watched it. And, uh, and, and, and I, I kind of want to get the Criterion Collection. You know, Ashton here has been pumping it so much that uh, <laughs> it might, might as well be a major sponsor. Like there, <laughs> it's awesome. I love it so far. Uh, let's. I guess we can talk. We're we're pretty close to time. Why don't we uh, uh, return to our recurring segment where we cast our the WWE superstars play uh, to play the our modern adaptation. So if we were to adapt Ivan Ilyich today. Who would we cast? And um, they have to be WWE superstars. <laughs> uh, I'm gonna say Rusev, just because you know. Rusev, he's yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Rusev as uh, as Ivan Ilyich. Uh, with the exception of very specific movies, there's no direct ports between WWE stars and like 98 percent of literature out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, no, that's uh, <laughs> or John Cena. I don't know, whatever. What are you going to say? Yeah, you're John Cena. I would. I. I was honestly. I'm surprised no one said Vince McMahon. Like I was thinking I was Vince McMahon. Really, and I was like, like this. I was honestly <laughs> thinking Vince McMahon too. A little too real though. <laughs> <laughs> Vince McMahon's laying on a couch, nails out four go. Like. <laughs> Oh yeah, and yeah, just just the just the real life McMahon family. So it's just like Stephanie and Shane, just like trying to ignore the fact that their father is dying, and then he's like on his deathbed, and he puts his hand on Shane's head, and he's like, "Oh wait." <laughs> Triple H is courting Stephanie McMahon. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, oh my god, you could make a pretty good film if you directly copied this novel and just ported it to the McMahon family. That actually should just be a WWE storyline. Uh, yeah, I feel like <laughs> I feel like you say that, and it's it is almost certainly something they have considered. Yeah. <laughs> considering they <laughs> considering they did kill off Vince McMahon briefly, oh and then God. completely just erase that storyline. Um, yeah, it's totally something they have definitely considered. They considered. They're like, you know, we should do some like Tolstoyan. Uh, storyline here like, yeah. like death of ivan Ilyich with vince mcmahon that's something that's been brought up in the writer's room it's uh it's the ultimate face turn for him yeah. <laughs> like how do we how do we make how do we make the audience love him uh let's just give him a terminal illness <laughs> oh god Yep. Oh my god. Excellent. I was gonna make uh, a really bad joke about like lifting his legs up and then his quads blow out. <laughs> Who'd play um, Garassum? Yeah, I was gonna say I feel like that's gonna be the big casting then. What about Kurt like, Angle? Kurt Angle, Stone Cold. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get Stone Cold to play Garassum. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny when you said Kurt Angle, I'm just picturing Kurt Angle. Like Vince McMahon telling Kurt Angle to lift his leg and Kurt Angle just puts him in an ankle lock. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, God. Oh, my migraine. <laughs> oh, brother. Uh, that, that being said, Hulk Hogan would also be a great Ivan Illich. <laughs> yeah, you could. Oh, uh, God. Yeah, just have bring the Hogan family back. Well, maybe not all of the Hogan family. Also, you guys remember when Brooke Hogan was um, like a really big like superstar? 
and stuff. I don't think that was ever a thing. She had a reality show, but like, so did everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so what about um, the movie? Who would you recast uh, a sequel to? Uh... Do Akiru? Akiru 2? This time it's personal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Does it have to be WWE casting? Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, of course. So just Shin- Shinsuke and um, Yokozuna. That's who I'd cast as the main. The most Japanese man I could think of. Is, is a Samoan wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Fuji. Yeah, Mr. Fuji. <laughs> oh, Asuka man. plays the uh, the right life loving woman. Asuka. <laughs> right. Oh dear. All right, I can wrap up if anyone's got anything else to say. Um, so that wraps up um, this episode on the death of five and Ilyich and Ikiru. Our next pick is uh, The Lone Ranger and Tonto Fist Fight in Heaven. It is a collection of short stories written by Sherman Alexi. The adaptation we will be watching is Smoke Signals, directed by Chris Eyre. So follow along if you'd like to. Special thanks to me and my friend for creating all the music you hear on this show. Check out more of their music by visiting meandmyfriend.bandcamp.com. If you like the show, go ahead and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. And make sure to leave us a review and a rating. Connect with us on social media at Page and Screen One on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can also search Page and Screen on YouTube, where you can watch a video version of this show. We post regular updates of all the books we read and all the movies we watch, and we'd love to hear your thoughts on all of them. So join in the conversation. And finally, make sure you spread the word about this show. If you know a book nerd or film geek in your life, pass it on. We'd love to reach new people. Maybe you know someone who's into Russian literature or Japanese cinema. Those are two extremely approachable avenues. Until the next episode, thank you for listening. <laughs>